Welcome to the latest in our podcast series, In the Know, when we interview different fund managers from different organisations that we're dealing with. This afternoon, I'm very pleased to be joined by Patrick Farrell, who's Chief Investment Officer at Charles Stanley. Good afternoon, Patrick. Good afternoon, Neil. How are you? I am very well, thank you, and I hope you are as well. Patrick, the only story in town at the moment seems to be inflation, if you if you believe everything that you read in the papers. Is that really the only investment story or is there more to be talked about? Well, look, I, I think it, it's certainly something that um, markets have not had to deal with since basically the early 90s. And so, you know, so from that sort of perspective, um, I think there is just a lot of uncertainty around how the situation overall is going to develop. Um, Central banks have had to dust off their strategy uh, playbook in relation to how they deal with inflation. And and I think, you know, we are in that sort of situation where there are a lot of the other underlying impacts, you know, and we can talk about supply chain issues, you know, the COVID lockdowns in China, and, you know, essentially where the war in the Ukraine all basically comes down to what does that mean for inflation ultimately? Is it going to add fuel to the fire? Um, and how far will central banks need to go? Yeah, it, it does seem to me as though it's a much tougher nut than perhaps we all thought it was going to be to crack. If we look at, say, the back end of last year, when we had central banks saying, well, we're worried about inflation, we're going to interest in, increase interest rates, we're going to gradually remove some of the financial support that we've been providing markets. But now it looks to me or it feels to me as though there's a bit more they're going to need to do. And I'm not quite sure what ammunition they've got. Well, central banks really only have one major policy tool. Yeah. And, you know, that policy tool is basically lifting interest rates. And the situation over the course of the last 30 odd years is that they've used that policy tool more like a sledgehammer to try to hit a nail. And that's probably a good way to actually summarise it. But now it's a situation where the nail has certainly grown to be something a lot bigger. And, you know, they have to use that policy tool fairly aggressively in order to get a degree of control. And I think there are two phases to this, Neil. And uh, where I sort of think about it is central banks need to get back to neutral policy which means that they've got to get interest rates back to a level where they're no longer stimulating the economy. The economy is strong. It's certainly slowing in sectors. But if you look at the unemployment rates around the world, they're actually very, very low. And I think, you know, that's where the the concern for some of these other inflation accelerators will put fuel onto the fire. So, So what I mean by that is... Yeah, we've seen energy costs go up substantially. We've seen food costs go up substantially. Now, they're volatile items anyway. So, you know, typically central banks won't necessarily react to those. But where they are much more, you know, longer term in terms of those price increases, which is what we've seen over the last sort of 12 months, they move from transitory to being a lot more persistent. And to be honest with you, it starts to really impact, particularly on the lower income earners. It acts like a tax. So, you know, on the lower income earners, you've got to pay for fuel and you've got to pay for food. And therefore, you've got less income left over for some of those discretionary items. And, you know, what happens then? Then they go to their boss and they sort of say, look, 
I'm actually interested in, in getting a bit of a pay rise because my situation compared to 12 months ago, I've got lo- a lot less buying power than what I had. And so I feel like I'm in a worse position. Now, that's a sort of situation that, um, you know, from a central bank perspective, it gets a lot more complicated because wage increases in particular um, are much stickier in terms of inflation and much more difficult to actually control going forward. Yeah, you don't you don't get too many people that actually give back a wage increase when things return back to normal. Do no, you? no, they don't. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't happen. It's interesting you mentioned there about um, central banks may have to deal with this quite aggressively because there's a danger there, isn't there? Because I, from where I'm sitting, there's a very very fine line because if they overplay the cards, they're going to shut off economic growth, and we need the economic growth to be able to get the the system working to support wages, support taxes, to support the, the payments that governments have got to make on fixed interest, all, all the other all the other bits and pieces, it strikes me as a really, really difficult balancing act. It's it's an extremely difficult balancing act, you know, because I think the one thing that central banks don't want to do is create a boom bust type scenario going forward. You know, and because that's very difficult to get under control again. But the flip side to this is that, you know, if we didn't have the pandemic and we saw some of those transitory inflation pressures build as we did last year, then they would have removed those emergency policy sort of settings much quicker. And yeah. therefore, they would be in a much different sort of situation as we sort of move forward. So what I think will happen is that central banks will move very, very quickly to get rates back to what we would consider to be neutral. So yeah. non-restrictive, but non-stimulatory at the same time. And I think for the US, that's probably going to be between two and two and a half percent, maybe in terms yeah. of the Fed funds. Yeah. I think it might be a little bit less in the UK uh, yeah. as well. So, But that's where they need to be in order to then make a decision as to how tight they want to basically set policy. So how high do they want to set interest rates that's going to cool the economy enough to get inflation back under control? Now, that is a very fine balancing act indeed, as you mentioned. Mm. Very, very difficult. And, and it's, it's got all sorts of other knock on implications, hasn't it? Because as you mentioned earlier on, the possibility of walking into your boss and saying, look, I want a pay rise because I'm, my costs have gone up or um, or whatever it happens to be. We've also seen over the last few months a real strengthening in the dollar. Is that something to be particularly worried about going forward? Could be inflationary, couldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, if we have to pay more for our imports, um, then definitely it's going to be adding to the sort of inflationary pressures that have been building. Um, I think where people and investors have sought um, some of the safety in the US dollar, surprisingly, it's only sort of really appreciated the US dollar in terms of the last month or so um, significantly. I thought there would have been a lot more activity in terms of buying the US dollar when the uh, the Ukraine war basically began because, you know, in any sort of geopolitical risk, you do have a sort of situation where, you know, a lot of people flock to the safety of the US dollar. You know, it is it yeah. is that sort of uh, risk off currency, if you like. But to be honest, you know, the Ukraine war went on for quite some time before the US dollar really started to appreciate. And I think that that's something that's obviously add to pressure right around the world, because yeah. there are a lot of 
economies that um, won't be able to sort of keep up with that US dollar appreciation. No, and that's going to cause all sorts of issues all, all around the place, isn't it? So that's that's quite good. It's interesting that, that you know, because you mentioned the Ukraine war, and of course we've seen the West throw enormous amounts of money at Ukraine in terms of support for for what's going on there. That money's got to come from somewhere. It's not all coming from the taxpayer. It must be coming from increased government borrowing, which is obviously going to cost more because interest rates are going up. Aren't we in a really vicious cycle here? So the way I like to look at things is that there are three major policy levers that can be used to actually stimulate the economy or to you know tighten the economy. Yeah. So monetary policy is one, central banks are controlling that, and I think we all know the direction where that's taking. Fiscal policy, you know, in terms of the government's uh, ability to support the economy is much more targeted, you know, it's mm. much more specific. Mm-hmm. And I think that, as you rightly say, they need to actually borrow the money in order for that to happen. Um, mm. So, and over the last two years, all they've done is borrow money. And there is a lot of government debt on issue at the moment. And to be honest with you, it's it's going to be difficult for governments to continue down that path and continue to um, issue debt because somebody's got to buy that debt. Where we've seen the sort of quantitative tightening announcements from the central banks, you know, particularly the Fed, yeah, they're no longer going to be those buyers. And so that, that buying has to be replaced from somewhere. You know, China have been a big buyer of US treasuries, for instance. Yes. And yeah. guess what? I don't necessarily feel that they're going to be that sort of big buyer going forward. Either. No, so, no. Yeah, so that whole <laughs> dynamic comes into question. So you're quite right in terms of how are, how are things going to basically play out if you can't, if monetary policy is going to get tighter, can fiscal policy get looser? I don't think so. You know, no. I think it's actually going to act as a bit more of a break as well um, on the economy. And the other policy lever is regulatory policy. So yeah. will things become easier to do? And I think, you know, when, when I start to think about renewable energy space, for instance, yeah, you know, energy security is one of the biggest themes that we can see at the moment, and it's particularly prevalent in Europe, as you could imagine, yeah. as they sort of as they reduce their reliance on Russian energy. But where are they going to get that energy from? Where are they going to get those, those sort of fossil fuels? And how quickly can they actually develop their renewable energy sources? That's a it's a, such an important question. But you know, um, I think a lot of the regulatory red tape on things like renewable energy, particularly in Europe, is just going to get cut right back. So it'll be a lot easier to sort of put up a wind farm or to get authorization to do anything from a solar farm or or anything along those lines. So that's a really interesting thing that we're looking at, obviously, as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting points to be made there. All of this obviously feeds through to what's going on in the investment markets. And, and we've seen, obviously, bond markets have the capital value anyway of bonds has been affected quite significantly by these interest rate rises we see, and we'll probably see that again in the future. Stock markets, though, in the main, apart from the maybe the US, have been reasonably resilient, but, but trading within a fairly narrow range. I think depending on the market that you're looking at, and, mm. and obviously for different reasons. So the US market had a really poor April, you know, and I think it's sort of uh, got to a situation where it did hold up really, really well. Um, and when 
when I sort of hate to say it, but if, if as the Ukraine war um, basically plateaued in terms of some of the escalation yep. points, um, yep. and that's still a very significant risk for markets going forward. But, you know, the market did become a little bit more comfortable with how it was going to play out and the fact that, you know, the Ukraine was basically putting up such a good fight against the Russian yes. aggression. And I think that, you know, that's a sort of situation where markets took a lot of comfort and they also took a lot of comfort from the fact that, um, you know, the, the, the support that they were getting from the West was going to mean that, you know, that that was going to play out and Russia was not necessarily going to get their way as they yep. expected. Yeah. And I think that that was a that was a really good outcome for, for markets. And you did see some appreciation come back. You know, um, you mm. know, people were a little bit more willing to sort of take some of that risk on board where we saw a weak April was very much on the very aggressive stance on the central bank and where policy was going to go. Yeah. You know, if I look at the expectations for where the Fed are going to take policy, we're almost in the next 12 months going to see cash rates at near 3%. Yeah, you know, so that's that's a very aggressive move, and you yeah, know, markets don't like that. That that's a big headwind for yeah. markets, and I think yeah, yeah it, it does play into the degree of uncertainty that's in the marketplace. You know, we, as we spoke before, uncertainty is the absolute enemy of markets. If there is any uncertainty about some of these bigger issues, yeah. markets don't like it, and they will sell off as a result. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is if you're an investor is is a bit of a worry because there's nowhere really you can put your money that is going to be free from all this. <laughs> to be quite honest, well, this is where the like if I look at the FTSE 100, that's actually held up really really well. Um, yeah. And year to date, you know, as of last night, it was up to around two and a half percent, whereas the S and P mm. 500 was down about 12.4. So. If I look at that sort of metric, why is that the case? Well, some of the commodity prices and some of the yeah. energy, some of the energy producers have all basically held up really, really well. And I think, you know, if you're looking at some of the underlying sector composition, mm. um, that's where that's where you can actually get a lot more detail in terms of trying to find a place to hire, as you put. Um, yeah. 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 It is obviously a long term thing, isn't it? Investing is for the longer term and short term is speculation. and but clients would naturally be worried when they start seeing their portfolio valuations through the door and um, the values down on where it was, say, three months ago. Yeah. And I think, you know, things like announcement effects and a lot of noise and adjustment periods, you know, to any sort of shock um, to the system takes time to, to manifest itself. However, I would say that as the markets get comfortable with the overall tightening policy, and they get a bit more clarity as to where the potential peaks are going to come through from central banks. And what you will see is greater confidence. You know, okay, this is where I think that they're going to end up. That means there could be still some short-term pain, but over the course of the next 12 to 24 months, I think you know equity markets are going to continue to be one of the best-performing asset classes. We may need to be a little bit more specific in what we buy and, you know, sort of, but there are definite opportunities that arise because um, because of the risk that's basically priced into where markets are at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting because if I, I'm, I'm sure I've seen this somewhere that if we look back at all the geopolitical events over the last you know 80 odd years or so, markets have tended to respond quite quickly 
positively after after those events have sort of run their course and so perhaps we can hope for that going forward with the ukraine war as well yes and i think that will be the case however you know the other factors that are playing out particularly the supply chain issues as a result now coming through from the china lockdowns yeah um will continue to play out and the, and the unfortunate thing is that they will continue to play out for months to come the, yeah. the, the container market the container shipping market yeah it's almost like um uh, the circulatory system in your body and if you do get blockages and all that sort of stuff it does create a lot of tension and a lot of rabbit in the snake if you like you know, yeah. issues yeah. that are very very difficult to work through so that balance coming back into shipping is going to take months and months for that to sort of um, get back to a normal sort of situation so we, we could have quite a prolonged period of fairly flat investment returns couldn't we well i think you know listeners would probably really need to potentially adjust their expectations I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've gone through a period where central banks and governments have spiked the punch bowl at the party, um, even though even though that party was uh, in your own home, um, yeah. of course, of the last couple of years. But yeah. now they've taken the punch bowl away and, you know, they've actually removed some of the safety nets and now you, you, you have to suffer the hangover to a degree. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a massive risk off scenarios so this is the other thing you know mm -hmm. risk off risk off scenarios tend to come about from an unknown influence coming through as 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 we know central banks if they cause a recession going forward it's probably going to be pretty well understood and known by the markets mm. it just means that they won't rally as hard you know that mm -hmm. the returns that we could probably hope to get out of equity markets going forward are probably in the mid single digits. And that's what we need to be able to expect going forward. Yeah, rather than the returns we've seen over the last couple of years, which Absolutely. Um, is changing basically. On, on the subject of markets and investing in general, one, one of the strong themes over the last few years has been the emergence of ESG, you know, environment, social and um, governance um, based investing, yep. which if you're investing money, wouldn't you want to invest money in a company that was conscious of those three factors anyway? Because surely that's the way forward for good profits, isn't it? Well, I think absolutely. I think, you know, um, what are we trying to do here when we're trying to value a company, let's say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we want to make sure that its business practices are sustainable in the long term, you know, because yeah. that's the way that they're going to grow and that's the way that they're going to keep operating. Um, so when I start to think about that, well, you know, if you're doing something you know, in terms of exploitation or, you know, um, something that's going to damage the environment, then that's not sustainable. Um, and therefore, you're going to, at some point, need to change your business practice. In, in a nutshell, I, I do tend to agree with the fact that, you know, ESG is a very important consideration. Um, but it has been for a lot of the shrewd investors. Um, it has been an important consideration long before you know, um, the, you know the mainstream has basically caught on. Because, and I mean, when I when I think about governance, I mean that's a no-brainer in yep. my mind. You have to have good governance at a company in yep. order for it to succeed and to be profitable in the longer term. And as you say, investing is for the long term, not just for some of the speculative short-term type views. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. Just it just seems to me as though it's a 
it's almost like a fashion that's 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 caught on and and um but any sensible longer term investor would have taken these factors into account anyway so it's interesting you mentioned earlier there patrick about sustainability and 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 the like and one of the things i've found quite interesting over the last few months is there are a number of funds that have got the word sustainable in them that we see out there in the marketplace but they don't seem to have performed very well as as other funds is there any particular reason why that would be in this kind of environment i don't necessarily feel that the shorter term investment performance of a particular theme or a particular way to invest is is going to play out at all times this is where we need to sort of look at Okay, well, what are the underlying drivers of, of some of those particular themes and, and why are they important? And do they have the long-term benefits that um, that will see their, their profits and their earnings stream basically continue uh, and, yeah. and to grow? So they're the sort of main metrics from a from a, a company valuation type perspective. But look, ultimately, you take more comfort in the, the longer term by investing yeah. in some of those that do have that sort of sustainable practice but there will be ebbs and, and flows at every step of the way. So, you know, that's where we can't necessarily be too wedded to any yeah. sort of particular theme because there are there are going to be times where, they, where it's going to play out and there are going to be times where, you know, they're, they're really going to um, potentially underperform. I've sort of, I will say to clients very often that if you focus too much on the short term, you're really speculating. Whereas if you focus on the longer term, that's actually investing. And I think that's a subtle difference that not everybody fully appreciates. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, Neil. Absolutely. Good. Excellent. I'm going to try and wind this up a little bit if if I can. So we can expect the inflation situation to probably continue for a little while longer. Central banks are in a pretty tricky place in trying to apply monetary policy to balance this this act out. And, and governments equally are in a difficult place. So it's it's going to be hold your nerve, isn't it, really, over the next uh, 12, 18 months or so? I think that's exactly right. Uh, it's, it's something that, from an investor perspective, is probably one of the most difficult environments for us to be able to deal with. And, you know, there obviously has been a lot of uncertainty over the last few years in terms of how the pandemics affected us and, you know, different working conditions and the like and, and the impact that that's had on the overall economy. Yeah. Um, but coming out of it, we we sort of come out hot. And, you know, then now we've got to try to put that genie, that inflation genie, back in the bottle, which is going to be a difficult task, to say the least. Really yep. tough one. Really tough. Well, look, Patrick, I really do appreciate you having given up so much time this afternoon to talk to us. I think it's a very interesting conversation, very useful, very helpful. And I hope that our clients have enjoyed listening to this podcast as well. To our clients, hope you found this informative and um, look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, Neil.